0: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show.
1: I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a coach. I'm not anything, really. I I enjoy this podcast, and I enjoy writing and, and other things. But today I talked to my good friend Tom Kelly, who is a warm-up comic for very some very well-known shows. He's, he's worked on The View, and right now he's on Tamron Hall. He's done Good Morning America and other shows. I've known him from the comedy world, but we've become good friends. Today, Tom had some questions to ask me about life, the universe, and everything. So let's go see what Tom has to say. Yeah, just, just to be clear, like, I hope New York City's alive. Oh, like, I mean, e- I- even if it's not coming back the way it was, at least there's room for better decision makers in New York and look, there's some bad signs and some good signs. Like we don't know really what the financial situation will be like, you know, a year from now with so many New Yorkers uh, leaving, so there'll be less taxes. And we don't know how the crime situation is shaping up. Certainly there's more crime, but you're saying your landlord wants you to uh, uh, commit to another year, even though-
0: I think my, my landlord is investing in fixing up the building. And I think he wants to know if I'm staying or going. Whereas for the last year, he's been letting me go month to month. I
1: see. So, so in other words, he's saying, okay, I see what you're saying. The more, basically the tougher the landlord is, the more confident they are. So, so previously he was saying, yeah, if you could do month to month, that'd be great. Now he's saying, look, it's a year or you're out then. And the third level would be if he said, look you're out because I'm building and I'm investing in in the city.
0: Yeah. And I think he's given me option one there where he says, I'm fixing things up. If you want to stay, you could stay. But if you're going to go, tell me now. All right. All right. Yeah. That's
1: that's an encouraging sign. I do think that with all the excitement of New York City reopening, that there's a good feeling in New York City. And and it reminds me of the feeling in two, early 2002 where after 9-11, You know, I lived right uh, next to Ground Zero. There was a lot of excitement, even from all over the world, about rebuilding New York. Now, that excitement, I I am starting to feel this summer in New York City. The sad thing is tens of thousands of businesses and restaurants, as you know, have gone out of business, Mm -hmm. and hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers have left, and there's some serious problems, but I'm hoping that it...
0: It could stabilize. Well, well listen, James, I don't want—I didn't mean to actually sound like I was beating up. James Altucher, if we're officially recording, you, sir, may—you should run for city council, if not mayor. Uh, The problem is then you're going to have to let other people talk. And I have a lot of friends who have run for mayor uh, or run for government jobs and they can't deal with the BS. But I think your article, if you read the bullet points of the New York is dead article, each point was point and spot on. The only difference between my politics and yours is I would have named the article New York is bleeding and needs CPR immediately. Somebody call an EMT, but that would not have been as good a title.
1: No, but you know what, though? I think you're right because... Even though in the article I wrote about not only did I write about how much I love New York City and I grew up there and I've lived there or it lived in and around there all my life but I talk about personal stories why I would love New York City and and then I said look people are in denial and here are the problems but yes the 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 more I think about it the title was very aggressive and it's caused me a
0: lot of grief <laughs> But that's why people read it. But James, that's why people read it. Your article was aptly titled, You Got People to Read Your Points. Now, I think then people got very aggressive about it. But listen, let's go through a few quick points that nobody wants to hear about New York is Dead. And then obviously we're going to talk about me, my podcast, yes. my life, my comedian, all at TomKellyShow.com. Kelly have a lot to talk about with but, you. <laughs> but, but with you, my friend, and also I've read your book and you need to fix my life up. And part of where I'm in this indecision stage is because I think New York is on a teeter totter i think it's about the teeter-totter back in a lot of ways uh but i think you're right one the rich people are leaving i don't want to buy a house or apartment in new york because i am afraid of what the taxes will be in five years two i am a registered democrat who votes uh leaning towards democratic uh, views but i think the super liberals are not paying attention to the homeless and the crime and the uh the drug use i saw drug use i saw heroin being shot on 72nd street now my now, I pay extra money to live in a neighborhood where I don't see that, or I used to think so. There's a homeless guy who I talk about on my podcast, on my Tom Kelly Show podcast. He drives me nuts. Ethan Freckles. He has an Instagram account. Ethan Freckles on Instagram. He has a- uh, Wait a second. Uh, I'm looking him up. Instagram. You woke him up? Yeah, he's just camp. Yeah, Instagram.com slash Ethan Freckles. By the way, did I just promote a vagrant's Instagram over my own? <laughs> this is why I need your help, James.
1: This guy's going to get, he's got 1300 followers. Like yeah. he's legit. Like, and
0: he, he's, he looks homeless. <laughs> he's homeless enough. But if you look down on his pictures, if you go deep, he's just a rich kid camping and we're supporting it. And this is what we did. Uh, New York City, God bless, took out all the payphones. We took this kid who could go get a job if he showered. And instead we're letting him camp on uh, a stretch of Columbus Avenue that is Bigger than my apartment. He has a barbecue, three bicycles. Uh, he has a place to sleep. He has boxes of stuff. And what do we do? Instead of asking him to leave or to get a job or to providing services to help get his life restarted, instead we took out the payphone and we put in a Wi Fi booth. So now we're providing him with amenities.
1: So so, wait a second. He's not like a problem, right? And I mean, he—he's like, not a you're problem. You're right. I'm scrolling down on his Instagram feed. I think I'm looking like at his bar mitzvah pictures now or something. Yeah, like he's definitely. But here, I got to give him credit. He reminds me. This is this might get a little bit out of out of bounds here, but uh, he reminds me of there's a philosopher from 500 BC. Diogenes started the cynical school of philosophy. It kind of predated the, the stoicism, and basically, this was a rich guy who got shit shamed in business in some way. And he decided, screw it. I am not following any of the rules of sight anymore. He started just, you know, he became essentially homeless, just living in the street, you know, peeing on the sidewalk or whatever they had in ancient Greece and eating whatever garbage he could get his hands on and just not caring. And he became a very happy person and he developed a huge philosophical following that's lasted till this day. Again, uh, someone someone once described the cynics the cynic school of philosophy as stoicism without clothes so like he he didn't really wear clothes and the famous story of him was he was lying um by the river and in the sun and alexander the great comes up to him and says i'll give you anything if you stop living this way and and he all diogenes said was okay just get out of the sun <laughs> you you're in my sunlight and this
0: guy <laughs> this guy reminds me of that he's living okay. a very kind of so,
1: cynicism so, the, the cynic school of
0: philosophy way of life so here's my problem diogenes didn't live across the street from my apartment and the problem is Diogenes, as you're calling this guy now, is he's attracting chlamydiaes and Herpides. Uh, who he's attracting the uh, the less noble vagrants. Like there was one guy who I call him Jesus on heroin, uh, very very skinny man who I I actually stopped him from verbally abusing a, an Asian woman last uh, August uh, in in ironically uh, Strawberry Field of all places, the the land John Lennon's land of peace he was yelling at this four foot tall, 70 year old Asian lady, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. Well, anyway, the problem with Ethan Freckles now is Ethan Freckles has attracted the homeless guy who's now using the uh, fire alarm box on my corner as a suntan booth for the summer.
1: Yeah, that I mean, that's the problem right now with uh, the Upper West, Side, I mean, parts of New York is that, you know, and, and again, this is not against the homeless. There's no. always been homeless in many cities. But as opposed to San Francisco, I feel like, uh, and, and this is nothing against San Francisco either, but I feel like it, the, the homeless in New York were treated a little differently. Like they had places to go, they got mm-hmm. uh, help, but now they're just sort of being let loose everywhere. And I don't understand what happened. And, and on top of that, crime crime has gone up. I mean, now yeah. when you go on the subway at night or or you walk around, you're in danger of random violence. Not as much as maybe a few months ago, but- it's, it, the danger is still there.
0: So listen, I don't know what's going to happen because I am predicting some form of an uptick in COVID in September, October. I just have a I'm, feeling. I'm glad you're an epidemiologist, Tom. No, <laughs> because- listen- I think so. You're not predicting it. I'm predicting something where people are going to be like, oh my gosh, should we shut down again? Uh, And I'm not saying, uh, and if that happens, I think the one scary thing about COVID-19, listen, all the decisions have been made already. I don't want to knock anything. I would have done Cuomo in the nursing homes. I would have done that differently. I don't know if I would have done a total shutdown. I don't know. But all I know for sure, James, is nobody smarter than me has come up with a new plan.
1: No, I, I agree with you. I don't know. Like, and he, and this is the problem too. take a look at like restaurants or Broadway in New York city. Now, uh, all of these things need, you know, now that they've all gone out of business, they need new investors. The last set of investors got screwed by the lockdown. So I think it's fear of lockdown that is going to prevent some growth b- past where we were before. And, and you know, in order to for New York City to survive, it has an extremely high budget. It provides a lot of services to its citizens. It needs money. And so some of that will come up from the last bailout. but some of it you need to attract new businesses and new people. Mm-hmm. And this is a more nuanced thing as opposed to whether people are happy today or not. I think they are happier than they were a few months ago because things have opened up. But there's a lot of pain in the city too. A lot of well, restaurants have gone into business. A lot of people went unemployed.
0: Here, here's the one thing that I think I was realizing in New York that your article missed? Okay, tell me, because okay. I want to know. I honestly Because know. I think a lot of New York's problems that you were preaching about uh, because of COVID-19 were already happening. Outside of the restaurants and theaters closing, frankly, the big banks are trying to have a smaller real estate footprint. That has been happening for 10 years. American Express has been moving to remote uh, cubicles for years. I have an uncle who works at uh, one of the banks on Sixth Avenue. I won't say which one, uh, but he used to have an office for years. And then they would say, hey, uh, you know what? You don't come in that much. Why don't you work from home? He was working from home for four years before all this. And now that's a man who doesn't have to pay the New York City income tax. And that was happening already. I think just COVID sped a lot of that along. I also yes. think the one thing your article missed and uh, you you own property and a business on the Upper West Side, um, I think the landlords got too greedy years ago. And an easy one is, when I moved to my block, the corner of 74th and Columbus uh, 10 years ago, you went to the corner, and if you look to the left, you could see a Chase Bank and a Starbucks uh, a block north. And then if you look to the right, you could see a Chase Bank and a Starbucks a block south. Now there's only one Chase Bank and one Starbucks. The demand for real estate is dropping off, and the landlords are not lowering their prices. And this has already happened in Williamsburg. The landlords have, in New York City, a lot of them have owned their property for hundreds of years or not hundreds, but you know, 70 years. My landlord, my building has been in the family for 80 years. He can afford to take a hit for a year or two. The landlords are not lowering the rent. If New York City is really going to be re- rebound, somebody's got to be left holding the bag for a bit and somebody's got to take a hit. And the landlords are not lowering their prices either. You know, like you, I mean, I told you, Don, your partner, Donnie Zolden told me what you guys are paying a month at Stand Up New York for rent. Million, not millions, but a good chunk of money.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, and I think, uh, look, our landlord did give us a break for a while and we've done well with all the loans and everything like Donnie, I I'm giving Donnie full credit for that. Like he did an amazing job because it was hard to get those loans and he really applied himself to it. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, some, some landlords are mom and pop landlords that kind of need the living and a lot because of the rent moratorium, a lot of these people are going bankrupt. Also there's, there's just a lot of pain that's, Maybe a little under the surface now that things are opening up. Like when things are open up, you see everybody dancing in the streets and stuff like that. But underneath, there's still a lot of pain. And look, I hope yeah. it gets better. You know, I, you know me. like I've been supportive of everybody. i I can help in in the city yeah. and and uh, you know, i don't I don't like the pain. i i the whole reason I wrote that article is I thought people were in denial. But, like you mentioned, maybe the title was a bit aggressive. i I was kind of disgusted that day how much I thought people were in denial. When I saw so many businesses going out of business, I saw so many people mm-hmm. in pain from what was happening, but of what course it? it took a life of its own. And I,
0: I, I almost regret how much like anger was aimed at me. Well, I mean, here's the problem. Somebody, would you have been better off? Not Would James, the person, have been better off not saying anything? Did that article make you any extra money? I don't know, but I think no, I think in not. a year or no two- No article
1: ever makes me money. <laughs>
0: no, but I think in a year or two, somebody's going to say, wow, that guy was kind of right. You know, maybe not 100% right. And Jerry Seinfeld obviously won't concede it. But listen, uh, I'll, I'll, just only speaking from me. I I'll, pe- tell, I'll tell you one thing though, it was interesting. I'm sorry to interrupt, No, a lo- you mentioned- like
1: running for office. a lot of people like high end people and low end people or not to judge people on high end or low end, but a lot of people, uh, asked me to run for mayor or comptroller or city council. And and what ended up happening was it put me in touch with a lot of mayoral candidates, comptroller candidates, other candidates. And I, I, you know, I actually have made one endorsement. I won't really talk about it on the podcast, but I have made an endorsement for mayor, but on every, for every office people were asking me for endorsements. And it was because well, of the article.
0: I, and I'm with you on who you endorsed for mayor. I don't want to drag you down that road if you don't want to go there. I think right now he's the best one. You need somebody who understands the problems of the world right now. But like, listen, policing, I believe it. Listen, there is an equity in policing. Uh, but why do we ask the cops to do all these crazy things? And I think you need somebody who maybe can get both sides of that equation. So I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of the guy that you endorsed without saying his name.
1: Yeah, and the only reason I'm not saying his name is just because whatever. I mean, if people Google my mayor owned all he doors,
0: endorsed Chris Cuomo, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Cuomo for governor. <laughs> Definitely not.
1: But so, uh yeah, but so anyway, thought, yeah,
0: but yeah, uh, how are you? Where are you right now? You're back at you're still in Florida.
1: Well, I'm going back and forth. Tomorrow I'll be in New York City, actually, uh, for the rest of the week. And then um and then I'm going to Georgia for a little trip. Like I'm just I, I still am a tax paying resident and and business owner of of the great city of new york as much as people say don't if i say that a lot of people say don't lie to us you da, 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 and they get all upset but well people,
0: actually I'll, I, if i'll end that last conversation with one deep thought for however much money i make a year i tried to do 186 days on long island so i wouldn't have to pay the extra 3% uh, new york city tax Right. And I didn't. In the end, though, I wound up doing, because my family was driving me nuts and I was driving them even crazier, uh, I wound up going to, um, I wound up paying the New York City tax. But I tried not to. Just imagine what people smarter than me who make more than me were doing last year. How much money did they lose from people hiding in the boroughs? Or not hiding in the boroughs, but hiding in the outer counties and hiding in other states.
1: Yeah, and it's not, it's not so much 2020. I'm worried about 2022. So uh, like, like we're going to, you know, 300,000 people or 300,000 families filed change of request, change of address requests outside of the the city. So they were, it was the biggest exodus ever from New York city this past year. And so the question will be what happens this year? And then what will the taxes look like in 2022? And look, a city needs a a city like New York city needs their taxes to pay for the enormous services they offer. And that's what keeps businesses coming and and people from leaving. And, but I do think, even if rents drop, like young people are gonna move there. And, but the the big problem is crime. Like ultimately crime will keep even the young people out. And so that needs to be stopped.
0: And crime is up something like 200%. Yeah, but I think the good news on crime is that once more people start coming back, you're gonna have more witnesses. And that will hopefully dissuade the criminals uh, a little bit. I hope so. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, more innocent bystanders. That's what New York City needs. (laughs) Right. Uh, so, but it's so but, yeah, t- talking about me. Yeah, but, it, yes, but it's funny. What's going on with you? So, I, I guess I don't know where you're starting this podcast. I'm going to pretend you're starting it now and not on 15 minutes of uh, po- political talk. But I am a stand up comedian uh, who ha- is known for his work warming up TV shows. So, just, uh, just,
1: just to mention, like, what, what yeah. is
0: that? Like, when I
1: watch. I don't know, a, a a morning talk show like Tamron Hall or, or yeah. Ellen or Ellen. Let's just take Ellen as the, a, a great example. Or or Rachel Ray, because that was a feature, Yeah. That, that show was featured in the TV show Crashing, the mm-hmm. warm-up comic. What happens? Like people kind of get there or the show is filmed earlier than it's, it's, well, it's taped uh,
0: live so it, it varies from show to show each show sort of is its own circus uh, for me I was working at Good Morning America there were two different versions of the show there was a Good Morning America from 8 to 9 and then they would tape a second hour that would air at 1 in the afternoon and they would have and a lot of these shows have live audiences some of them are small some of them are big and regular people from around the country show up and they 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 need to be put into a good mood to uh, watch the show. And the the demands of the warm up comedian are different on every show. Uh, So I worked at Good Morning America. Uh, I am known for my work at The View. For years, uh, I worked at the $100,000 pyramid with Michael Strahan. And uh, the demands at a job are interesting and they vary from show to show. At Good Morning America, it's get them up as high as possible with uh, the least amount of BS possible. So that way the crowd can laugh for two hours. And so what's, what's
1: like a typical technique like and I, I'm just curious like because this is I, I think this is related to public speaking this is but in general like you get good at figuring out what parts of the audience are feeling a little down you have to recognize that you have to like pump up their energy I think this is true I think this well, is di- the difference between uh, being a comic for a show and being a stand-up comic
0: you have to basically get their energy high. So it's the energy high, frankly, is the end goal. They don't care if you were funny. They care whether or not they laughed at the main act and they did the the energy was high for the main act. Uh, For me, my two skills are being in the room and gravitating to misery. Just like in my relationships, I gravitate to the most miserable person in the audience. And my gift, I think, uh, and you've seen me perform and vice versa so many times, my problem in standup is I'm very easy, very, I very quickly let go of my act, and then my gift in warm-up and standup is being in the moment. And the one thing I do well as a stand-up MC, and I do very, very well, as a warm-up comedian is, uh, I create moments, whether it be, and I can let go of being funny. And I can go for the cute. I can go for the heartwarming. I can go for the emotional. Um, and then, because it's funny, you go talk about the varying jobs of a warm up comedian and the various tools I have in my belt, is sometimes there are some shows like I think a lot of these late night shows, the guys do 10 minutes. They get the crowd pumped, they're laughing, and then they're done for the show. For me, sometimes I also have to stall for time. Like you used the word Rachel Ray before. Rachel Ray's warm-up comedian, this guy Joey Cola, who is the, the, the gold standard for daytime warm-ups in America. Uh, he, you know, like if Rachel Ray is making pot roast and the pot roast isn't cooked yet, Joey has to fill time. And the same thing will happen for me if I'm, uh, you know, when, if I was at Good Morning America on a taped show and the band wasn't set up yet, I'd have to fill for time. Uh, and at Good Morning America, there were shows where I would do their outdoor summer concert series. And, you know, like I've opened for the Jonas Brothers, 20,000 people, and you would have, there would wait, be moments- wait, can I, Let me ask you about that.
1: You open up for the Jonas Brothers. Does any, does any fan of the Jonas Brothers want
0: a comedian to open up for them? No. So, uh, and and I did that at Good Morning America. Actually, the great example is at first no. So the trick is you have to pander too. Like whereas if if stand-up comedy is about truth, warm-up comedy is about telling them what they want to hear.
1: Right? And also and also I feel like you mentioned something earlier like it's not it's about being in the moment. What do they want that moment? And yeah. in stand-up comedy, it's it's also sort of about being in the moment, but you can't be in the moment about. You have to be in the moment humorously, like you you kind of have to make them laugh at some point. And and I admit there's some heartwarming moments. There's some things you can do where it's more yeah. performance than just comedy. But a lot of it is about making them laugh. Whereas I feel with warm up comedy, it's more about like you say gravitating towards the miserable by the way in standup comedy it's the opposite you want to gravitate towards the people who are laughing the hardest because that's your customer
0: and oh, see, and I and I'm the opposite of that I will go to whoever's the worst in the room and try to bring them up uh, I will make fun of whoever's angriest in the room but to your point about So like part of why I wanted to talk to you on your podcast, and I hope to God you skip all the politics we had and go straight to Tom Kelly.
1: All right, let's let, we'll do it. Jay, note, note to Jay. Yeah, (laughs) Jay,
0: note to Jay, cut half the show, start in the middle. Uh, No, but for real, because I am, and I think this is where I'm useful to you and why I think I'm a useful guest is if I were summing up who Tom Kelly is in a sentence here, is I'm a stand-up comic. Let's be honest. I was never making that much money as a stand-up comic, okay? But the stand-up comic was, in Walmart terms, my loss leader. That opened up uh, my skills as a warm-up comedian. I was doing a lot of personal appearances and private parties. I was making $2,500 a show to do auctions, for uh, charities uh, right before the pandemic ended. I was rich right before the end of the pandemic. If I could have done this for another two years uh, at the pace I was going, I might've died of a heart attack, but I was finally making my money for the first time in my life. I've known you about what, eight years? Yeah. For the first time in my 20 years in show business, I was getting ahead. Money was going into the bank. Uh, And And, then- And
1: and let me me add to that, which is that people, when I was doing, you know, when I first started doing it and even like two or three years in, some friends of mine would ask me like, why are you even doing this? Like, we know know you're funny. Why are you actually going in front of like 30 or 40 people at a random Tuesday night at some club and telling jokes? Like, what are you getting out of that? And the reality is it's not just about telling jokes. It's an incredibly difficult skill, but the skill is not intended to get better at performing in a club. The skill is for being the best at these other things, like whether it's a comedian in a show or funny in a TV show mm-hmm. or or a public speaker who's funnier than every other public speaker or emceeing auctions or parties or events. Like when I would emcee events in the business world after I had started doing standup comedy, it was like a, a 10X factor having that skill of standup comedy. Like I was so much more able to notice what was going on in the room get people laughing and and they were shocked that they were laughing in in those environments. So that's
0: where the skill is useful. So uh, if James Altucher wrote a book, skip the line, Tom Kelly came here to be on your podcast because I want to start skipping the lines. I've been online for too damn long. I have, this is like Black Friday lines. I got the damn TV set and nobody wants to cash me out at a Walmart uh, is what how I feel about my life. Uh, I have a great podcast about me trying to reinvent my career, Tom Kelly Show podcast. Uh, and I've been very human. I've been very exposed. I was hoping you listened to an episode or two, but you haven't yet except for the ones you've been on, which is going to drive me crazy. But for real, I I feel like I am ready for a quantum leap. I am ready for a transformation. I am hiding up here in Maine for about two weeks in a semi-working remote vacation uh, where, and frankly, your book filled the five-hour drive. I listened to you at oh, 1.2 excellent. speed. And I've been writing my 10 ideas. I left the notebook in the other damn room. I'm sorry about that. But I've been writing, my, uh, I've been writing, 10 idea. I'd probably been writing two to three ideas a day for the last week. And then probably another five ideas uh, that are uh, setups for jokes. I don't know if that counts in your 10 ideas. That idea totally list. counts. Okay.
1: Everything counts. Everything counts that makes your brain stretch by idea number seven or eight. If you're saying by idea number seven or eight, man, how am I going to get like two or three more? That's those lists all count no matter what it is.
0: So I came to you because I am looking for, uh, some sort of a bold way to either promote my podcast. Uh, I'm looking for, and the podcast, I'm also considering a loss leader right now. Uh, but I've taken some lessons from your book and have applied it to the podcast. Uh, frankly, I am surprised you're not still on the New York times bestseller list because I have been pushing your book every week because it meant something to me.
1: Oh, I really appreciate that, Tom. And well, tell me, Tell me what you're doing on your podcast. Well, so, Jared, well, first off, you're you're a warm-up comic right now for Tamron Hall. You've done Good Morning America, The View. Yeah. Is this a step down? I'm uh, not that Tamron so, Hall's bad, no, but the uh, Good Morning America's huge.
0: Well, and uh, we'll see right now. So, true story, I was working at Good Morning America. They were a week ahead of the pandemic. They knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. They, uh, my bosses there who love me and care about me uh, were giving me advice on how to perform differently because they thought the pandemic was real and coming. Uh, they, I think all of New York shut down on a Thursday. I got laid off that Monday or Tuesday, and I wasn't even laid off. They just stopped hiring me. I was a daily hire. Uh, so they let me go on a Tuesday, stopped paying on a Wednesday, which is fine. That's how my contract is. Uh, but I joke that I am the least essential, non-essential worker in New York city. And, so, so, but I heard you saying earlier that, um, you were doing zoom warm-ups. So or- anyway, and then I got lucky about six months later, a TV show, Tamron Hall, uh, my, uh, boss, Candy Carter, who is, uh, worked at Oprah, worked at the view for years. Uh, she came up with the gimmick of, basically getting to to add energy to the room she was bringing in 30 to 60 people a day on zoom and so what when we talk about lost leader and things not necessarily paying off in the way you think i started a podcast Thinking my I would go viral, I'll have sponsors, I'm going to get rich. I think the one skill I got out of my podcast was learning how to use a roadcaster so that way I could entertain people. And I actually have done very well with corporate Zoom work this year. About once a month, I've been getting a well-paying corporate gig where I'll have anywhere between uh, 30 and 300 people in a Zoom. And I'll tell jokes, I'll do crowd work, and I make people f- laugh. And so I've turned this this way of communicating with people into a, a little bit of a career.
1: Yeah, and you know, I actually for a while I was down. Like I wouldn't do any of the Zoom stuff. I thought that's not real standup comedy because for one thing I was sitting down. But I started <laughs> doing some Zoom comedy actually for for Yelp. Like Yelp has all these different markets, and you can get. And I was doing. I started doing Zoom comedy for the different markets, and I was having a lot of fun because I didn't have to go anywhere and I could do standup. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and you know what? Listen, I I think Zoom will be a part of my repertoire forever. Uh, I am available if there's anybody looking for a private uh, gig that doesn't want to hire James, hire me. Uh, hire Tom. No, or hire. I've, you're I've, sick of it. I've not,
1: I've, I've not been. I've not been doing as many lately.
0: No, but I'll tell you what I got out of it is, uh, listen, this is all when you, whether it be comedy, storytelling, whatever your art form, it's about connecting with something with people. And to your point about what you were asking about me before is I have a gift other comedians don't have. I am going to heaven. (laughs) I am a good person. Uh, I have been jokingly calling myself the self-help comedian. The subtitle for my podcast has been self-help comedy where uh, I'll, I'll interview people like you. I interviewed Jen Gottlieb two weeks ago. Oh, I uh, know Jen. And actually taking, taking one of your principles and applying it to my podcast of doing things radically different instead of doing a once a week show for an hour or a half an hour and letting the conversation go, uh, I am going to do five 20-minute podcasts this week.
1: Oh, that's great. I like that. It's a good experiment.
0: It's an experiment. I'm not going to do it forever. My commitment to my audience still is new show every Monday. Uh, I'm not letting it. And this is, and again, a piece of wisdom I got from your uh, book. I'm not letting it drive me crazy that I essentially have divided my audience into five right now because I see the numbers dropping every day. No, but you know what?
1: But but the numbers are dropping, but your views per month and maybe even your number of unique uh, visitors or listeners will go up. Thank you.
0: What apps do you use? Actually, here's a good question. When you were judging your early success, how do you judge how many people are listening to you? I know you're successful because other people have told me so. How do you know you're successful as a podcaster?
1: You know, it's really hard because as you probably noticed, there's no real good source of data. Like Apple sort of hides their data and they're the main source of where people listen to podcasts. So you don't really, like it's a kind of a black box. You don't really know. Uh, So- you, usually your host will give you some estimate, but you don't really know the full, the real number. And if the number changes, you don't know if it's because they measure, like sometimes if you're in your car and if you're in your house and you listen both in the car and the house, uh, they'll count that as two unique listeners. Sometimes they fix that, sometimes they don't. If you listen for three minutes, sometimes you're a listener, sometimes you're not. Some, you know, Sometimes they make the bar five minutes. So it really, you have to also see when the algorithm changes as well. But in general, I like to see if my number of unique listeners are going up. and I look I look per episode to see what kind of episodes do well. And you know I try to measure you, you know, you measure what matters. So so I try to measure as many things as possible to determine how many unique listeners I have and, and am I going up and also what um, what don't people like? what do people like? Who do people like? What categories people don't like? So and not that I'm just gonna cater to what people like, but that just gives me an idea of maybe, you know what i need to do or where i need to improve or where i need to experiment more and so on so I just think um, I, the, the main metric I use is how many people stop me in the street and say, oh, I love your podcast.
0: Okay, so and that's what I've been using right now is I, I've been using, my metric has been who writes me, who texts me. I've been trying to create a community where they could all talk to each other and maybe that would snowball. But instead, all they're doing is DMing me on Instagram and it's driving me crazy. But I don't want to, in fact, but I feel like I've been looking gift horses in the mouth and I've been I've been like, please comment over here on my podcast.com, Kelly. uh you know, podcast.tomkellyshow.com. And they're but, all like, nah, I'd rather interact with you directly.
1: Here, here is the key though. Always make uh, an episode that is, that people are gonna wanna share. So you think in advance, why will people want to share this? And you aim towards that. So you, sharing is, the is, is you know, when people share your podcast, that is the best way to get new listeners and build the audience. And And so whether it's an article or a podcast or your comedy, you always want to give people multiple reasons like, oh, this was a comedian where I learned something. Or this is a comedian where I was laughing like every 10 seconds. Or this is a comedian that made me feel good. Like, so when you're thinking about comedy, why are people going to share you as opposed to somebody else? Or say, you got to listen to this one comedian. Why are they going to say that? You have to know that answer in advance. So why are you, so why are
0: you having me on the show then?
1: Well, because here's one thing I've noticed. When I have my friends on the show and we're having real conversations as opposed to, like, me trying to figure out how to
0: interview, those are my best episodes. <laughs> are they? Yeah. But do they rate as well? Because with me— Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, they rate as well. Do they? See, me, when I have celebrities on, they rate higher. And when I have friends on, they rate lower. Celebrities are the worst for me. Like if really? I,
1: yeah. If I had—I uh, I won't name any names, but if I— Like, sometimes I've had, like, incredibly famous people, and those have been— the lowest downloads of all. And sometimes if it's just me and a friend telling stories, then those are the the best. Like, you know, cause people again, like the story, they like the rapport and maybe they learn something.
0: Well, so. well, if you like that, you know what I'm going to do? You know what? Listen, at this point, if you want to find my journey, I'm at the Tom Kelly is where you can find all my stuff, uh, including my Venmo America. I'm poor, but, uh, <laughs> But for real, if this podcast were a conversation, I've been, I've had a fire in my stomach for about, uh, I guess, uh, if I came up to uh, Maine on June first, it's what June fourteenth now. So for two weeks, I've had a fire in my belly, saying I need to talk to James uh, because well, you've t- had.
1: Yeah, tell A few me. What, impacts of my life. Tell me tell me what you wanna what you wanna know. We we, so, we talk all the time. Tell me what what, what has been on your mind. Uh, so like, I'll tell your you next what's been day?
0: success. So I need to figure out how to promote this damn thing. And it's not and I need to figure out how to get myself out there. I need to break through the glass wall. So listen, with the podcast, uh, I'm using your spoken wheel theory, which is the podcast may be the loss leader, uh, just like stand up. but maybe through the podcast, uh, I've made a few deeper connections with people. Like, uh, I mean, I've met Jen Gottlieb, got some advice there. Uh, I had a great conversation with Stacy London. Actually doing the podcast, got me on a TV show, got me booked for a TV show on the Reels channel. It's gonna be, it's kind of like I love the 80s, but on Reels, on the Reels network, and I've never heard of a show, but a friend of mine booked me based on the fact that he saw me repurposing my podcast and putting video clips on Instagram. And he's like, oh, Tom can talk to a camera now. He's doing okay. Uh, so that's how I got the booking. Now, how much money did I make on that show? Not a damn penny, but maybe that'll pay off down the road too. I'm planting seeds. So my 2020, so my slogan has been, I'm trying to take my 2020 lemons and turn it into 2021 lemonade. My more realistic slogan might be, I'm taking my 2020 lemons and making 2022 lemonade, or I'm taking my 2020 shit and using it as fertilizer for my 2022 forest. <laughs> all right. Let me just tell you, I think you're overthinking all of this.
1: I think it's like almost like take a step back and say, and it, and you're doing this. You, you just said you were doing this. Yeah. What can I do with my podcast that nobody else is doing? Because there's a billion podcasts out there that interview people. There's a billion podcasts about you know, money or even comedy or entertainment. Like, what can I do that's an experiment? So you're starting to do this, but I would think of even more, like, just go crazy. Like, you know what? Why the hell have you not uh, interviewed, what's his name, Eric
0: Freckles yet? (laughs) Oh, Ethan Freckles, because I'm uh, I'm afraid of actually getting into a fight with him. Yeah, that's actually a good point, though. That's bringing Ethan Freckles up to the apartment. Jeez, that's a that's an idea. Yeah. Ethan Freckles is homeless and now he's
1: in my apartment. Ethan, how's it going? Boom. Nobody is turning away from that podcast from that moment on. (laughs) And then people will share it like, oh my God, you listen to this guy. This guy is like homeless. And, uh, you know, this guy, Tom Kelly just had him on his podcast and man, it's, it's weird being homeless. I don't know whatever he's going to say. Like there's going to be some story out of that, but like let me ask you a question. Why do you even know all about Ethan
0: Freckles? Like, he's homeless and funny. Did you, like, talk to him? You're not... You're, I know enough... You know what it is? He... Uh, I hate Ethan. You know, and and, and you don't want to know... You want to know why I haven't had him on the podcast is... I don't like looking at him every morning. How about that for the meanest thing ever? I, uh, uh Well, I think also you don't like a rich kid who became homeless. <laughs> he has a nicer cell phone than my father. I think there's real homeless people out there who need the help. And this kid has resources and he's turning them down for some reason. Uh, I See, think that, there I are. Think that's,
1: I think that's fair. Like, I don't like, I don't like people who, like, I, I really don't like people who inherit a lot of money because i find them to be they think that they're like their their dad or their mom who or grandpa who who became the the original billionaire they think they're like that person and yet they're not they're usually dicks in some way and and then they don't but they don't realize that and also the other thing is they're really bad with money like i've had children of billionaires borrow money from me and never pay it back and it's just i just don't like those people <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I, so that's, I, listen, I'm going to, I brought my notebook, uh, my little comedy notebook. I'm going to write that one down. That's a brilliant idea. I I think the thing is, I think I have a good product out right now with the podcast, even as, even if, as it's evolving. I think the fact, I think the experiment is the show to your point. I think you're using the spokes and wheel series every week. Yes. The joke has been Tom Kelly burdens celebrities with their, with his problems.
1: Yeah. I love that. That's a good, That's a good thing where, and I tend to do that too. Like for instance, when I had Jordan Peterson on the show and that was a very popular episode and he's a well-known guy, um, but he's a trained psychologist. I basically use that as a private therapy session on the podcast. (laughs) So those are like my favorite podcasts where I'm like, you know, we're, we're basically doing therapy for each other back and forth.
0: No, and to your point, I had two therapists on the show and each therapist uh, gave me basically a free session. Uh, I had a woman who was in prison, uh, Allison, the prison break life coach. Uh, she was in prison for seven years. And she basically talks to people about how we're all in our own figurative prisons. Like I learned from her that I might be a, pri- a prisoner of the stories I tell myself. That maybe I go into a good comedy club and I feel like I'm not the best guy in the room. Uh, I still feel like I do don't deserve to be there. Uh, I've been in comedy for about 20 years. If you want to start the clock, honestly, uh, we could argue about whether or not I've done 20 years of hard work on it, but, uh, yeah, 20 years.
1: So like, so you, it's quite possible in the hierarchy you've created for yourself, which is the comedy world. You walk into a comedy club and let's look at the other people who've been doing it for 20 years or even less than 20 years. There might be Andrew Schultz, Chris Dostofano, Tim Dillon, these are the up and coming people. Then there's mm-hmm. the, you know, people doing it more like the Dave Chappelle's, the Chris Rocks, but there's a, quite a few people. The 20 year point is kind of like, with the 15 to 20 year point, is their breakthrough point where they get their TV show, they get, they start, you know, filling up arenas and, or, or theaters as opposed to clubs. So,
0: so yeah. you, you just had a good point. So here's where I'm coming to you for free therapy. Sure. I feel like, I have been hurt by a stigma of being the daytime warm-up guy even though I'm making a living off it. I think if I were to go to even your club or some of the downtown clubs, I think that, that, that you get two types of dirty looks. Dirty look number one is, uh, dirty look number one is, oh my gosh, this guy is a daytime warm up and he thinks somebody. And then the other d- dirty look is, Tom Kelly gets that kind of work. I'm so much better than him. And I have always felt uncomfortable um, going to the bar right. to do the hang. Like, like you know, like, Actually, that's your. your, like Donnie used to tell me. And uh, they'll even say you're supposed to do it down at the downtown clubs or at the comic strip. Go do the hang. And I'm like, every time I'm hanging, that's a minute I'm not making money.
1: Yeah. Well, you you know, it's funny you mentioned that because even at my own club, I can't hang at the bar because I am so bad at socializing. Like everyone's just looking at the TVs, watching sports. I have no
0: idea what to say to anybody. Even yeah. at my
1: own place, I feel uncomfortable socially. So I no, have to leave.
0: But, and, and, listen, and is this a true story? Uh, like I felt the way I know the James Altucher story of becoming a comedian was you started doing comedy to be better at the things you were doing. Uh, it was a dream of yours. Yeah. And then you bought Stand Up New York because you weren't getting stage time anywhere else. That is totally untrue. No, uh, I, I, I like that version of the story though, because I like, again, I am ready to skip the fucking line. I've been online a long goddamn time. Uh, you know. And I don't know if it's, I need an email list, a fairy godmother. Uh, listen, and, and all, right. all the good things that came to me in my life. Here's a true story that you don't know about me, James. Uh, in 2006- Uh, I was producing a web TV show and the gimmick was Tom Kelly quit comedy to move to Florida to be a male mermaid in a mermaid show. It was called The Little Merman. I still own it. It's buried on YouTube. It's hard to find, but it's on YouTube if you dig for it. And I literally was learning to be an underwater dancer. And that's when I got the call. What the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah. There's look, such a uh, thing as an underwater yeah, look, dancer?
0: Look up Wikiwatchy Springs if you want a second of uh, knowing Tom Kelly a little bit better. Uh, and true story, I was in much better shape than I'm in now. And I was basically learning to be a male mermaid in a mermaid show. And that's when I get a call from Barbara Walton office saying that rosie o'donnell had recommended me to be the new warm-up comedian at the view and i had nothing to do with that those were seeds i planted i thought the seeds dried up and they didn't come growing until three they were like the you know what it is it was like the fucking cicadas my dreams were like the cicadas they didn't come out till 17 years later and i'm kind of ready for my next cicada coming
1: yeah and look here Here's just a couple of things to unpack there. first off, we all get put in we all put our it's it's like your friend said or you know, the prison break story therapist. she's right you 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 it's not I'm going to use different words. It's not like you put yourself in this um or you told this story about yourself like you're going to be a good uh, comedian in the standup clubs is that you put I'll put it a little differently. You put yourself in that hierarchy where you're judging yourself relative to the people who uh you know perform in stand-up comedy clubs 10 to 15 times a week and you know that's a brutal you know that's a that's a brutal hierarchy because there's only a limit very limited supply of people who are doing that the club owners know them um uh, by the way I'm looking at this Wikiwatchy uh springs this is insane these mermaids but yeah. Uh, but okay so you put yourself in that hierarchy in but meanwhile you, you've got the, you, you built these incredible skills for the other things. It's a, it's the spoken wheel approach. The stand up comedy world is just one spoke, but I put myself in that hierarchy as well. And you feel miserable all the time because, you know, a, there are some that are really great at, at that type of audience. And they're always going to shine. And they're always going to get like a laugh every 10 seconds. And there's, they're great at it. And then, and then there's also the people who have been doing it, who are, who are friends with all the club owners and they're just going to shit on you all the time. It's like, it's like, unless you're willing to sacrifice your life for the stand up comedy club, uh, you're not going to make money at it. And you're going to feel bad all the time because, you know, again, every now and then you're going to bomb because there's like 12 people in the audience and they just don't like, you know, they wanted a barbecue and you're giving them sushi and, and yeah. B there's just some club owners are not going to like you because you're, you're, you're not edgy enough or you're too edgy or you're not, uh, diverse enough or you, many other reasons, or maybe other comedians are putting you down because they want time. Like it's a very yeah. cutthroat world. So, so you have to kind of say, okay, look, a good show is when I build my skills. And then if for whatever reason, I don't do a show in a standup in the standup world for a few weeks or a few months or a year, like in the pandemic, you're building your skills in other ways. As long as you're, as long as you're, there's, there's no goal. There's, 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 it's not, it's not about winning the game. It's about playing the game. And so you just want to keep playing the game and not associate yourself with the hierarchy that a goal implies. Like, oh, this person made it to have his own sitcom on NBC. That's the goal. Well, don't you're 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 more about, I want to improve my skills so I get these opportunities like The View or Tamron Hall Show or emceeing Auctions. You are, you know, you're building like this incredible skill set that, by the way, is a very, very difficult skill. Like people don't realize realize this about stand-up comedy. It's not about all about the humor, it's about Crowd work—it's about likability. It's about finding those emotional moments with the audience. Uh, it's about so many different things. Stand up, the stand up club—that's just fifty to one hundred people to two hundred people on one particular night. It's a very—it's like an inconsequential well, amount of people. Compared y- y- here's a question podcast. for you: Are you still getting up? Uh, I stopped r- just in the past like month or so. I've kind of made a decision that I'm going to slow it down, just because. I, I don't really in, enjoy it as much because right now I have, you have to travel a little bit more, particularly when things were closed and it's a lot of work, you know, yeah. you know, you, you know, even going to stand up, stand up New York, which was across the street from where I lived. Uh, I would have to prepare for hours beforehand. I'd mm-hmm. go there at the beginning of the show just to watch the people come in. So I could, you know, see who I'm going to make jokes about when I do crowd work And, and then you kind of stay afterwards because it seems like a little rude to just leave right away. And so it's to, to go up for 15 minutes, is like a three or four hour adventure. And when you have to travel, sometimes then, then I started traveling around the country and even other countries. And then it's a lot of work for, for, you know, it was interesting. It's a story I could tell, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to spend that time now learning other skills because I have this skill to the level I want to have it.
0: And so now i'm going to learn other skills to, to to add to my life so i need two things in my life right now one whether apply to stand up warm up or hosting work or getting my own show like that was my always you know what's funny my dream has always been quote unquote getting my own show i don't know what the fuck that means but right. getting my but, own show but that's
1: a good question too like tv sucks right now like on the one hand, it's it feels like there's more opportunities than ever to to get on a show just because there's so many streaming services. Mm. But that means also there's just like no pay. It's such a competitive world. There's no pay for this. You're not you're not going to get so paid here's well. how I feel
0: about here's how I feel about TV and the comedy clubs, frankly. Um, and i and I think what I need is new doors to knock on. Because, and I need and I think that'll help me have my quantum leap, and I'm starting to work on that a little bit. But TV is like the hot girl that you wanted to date in high school. Then 35 years later, she's gained weight. She isn't as attractive as she used to be, but you still want to date her because she's the girl you had a crush on 35 years ago. And that's how I feel about wanting a network show and perform clubs in New York city. I've
1: pitched what I think is great ideas, but also what agents think are great ideas at least nine different times to the television world. Uh, the last several times, I probably pitched to on average of nine different networks with a top agent by my side with everybody wanting my success. And it's just a difficult world with, with very little reward. It's a difficult world to, to break in with very little reward. And you're right. That, I think that is a good analogy. Like we all kind of want it for some reason, but I'm, I'm able so it got to the point where right now, actually, I'm considering being a regular on some new show, but I've like barely been able to return their phone calls. I'm just not that interested anymore in that. And it's not that it's not that I've lost interest is that I realize it's not as worth it as everybody, as I thought and everybody was telling me, it doesn't really add to your credentials. What really adds to your credentials is providing value that nobody, that nobody else is providing. And whether that's in television or your podcast or art writing or something, it might not be in a TV show. Like most of these actors I see on Netflix shows, I've never seen them before and I'm never gonna see them again.
0: That's television. Well, well, go, going that way for a second, I, I would love what, I, so like you, I would love to be on somebody else's show right now. And I'll tell you the one thing I liked about working at Good Morning America, the one thing I like about doing stand-up shows at uh, the clubs around New York City is somebody else does the dirty work. Like, you know, like I used to be on headline news all the time on a show called The Daily Share. I think you were on it back in the day. Or were you on CNBC back then? Yeah. Uh, Okay. So anyway, but what I loved about being a talking head was they'd give you the car, you would show up, you go to CNN headquarters, you go into a room with just a damn camera, you make your jokes, you go home, and either people followed me or they didn't. I do need a certain part of my life where I feel like I'm doing too much of the lifting. Like, I have to record on the roadcaster. I have to set up the microphone, I have to do the editing. Um, I'm at a point where I either need an assistant, uh, but I can't find an assistant who can do the stuff that I'm doing. But let me ask you a question, like,
1: what's what what for what's the real question that you really want to ask that if you had the answer would provide value in your life like one one thing i'm hearing is that you want to know simply what to do next should you put more should, how should you you know you start off saying well how do i promote the podcast but really it's i think you want to know what to do next and it's not warm up stand up yeah. comedy it's not necessarily the podcast although you're doing well at it and and it's building and you're experimenting you kind of want to figure out what's going to be the thing that that breaks through. So you're making not just a living, but like a great living and that you love doing it. Um, but what, what's the how do you formulate that question? Like you, you, you have skills at stand up comedy. Now you're building skills of podcasting. You've done skill. Let's call it warm up comedy a little different than yeah. stand up comedy. You have skills at that. What's what's the, what's the, is it that you want to figure out how to use these skills in some new thing or yeah, what do you want to do? Yeah, I'm
0: ready. You know what? I'm ready for something new, man. I mean, listen, stand up is a gift and a curse. You know, uh, I, I actually also have a, a job ghostwriting for morning radio shows at iHeartMedia. So I have what cleaned that mean? up.
1: What does what, How do you get so a job ghostwriting for a morning
0: shows? I, I don't want to get too into it because I don't want other people to discover the business and get into it. Um, but I basically ghost write for a couple of morning radio shows around the country. They know who I am. Um, they're paying me in money and in health insurance, so I have things coming in. But what does it mean to go straight for a morning? So, like, do you give them
1: jokes? I write up
0: ideas. I write up ideas and jokes and topics that I would talk about. So, like, if Altucher, so uh, if James were to do a daily morning show, uh, I you would subscribe to my newspaper.
1: Oh, I love this idea because, for instance, let's say let's say somebody uh, like like Avi Loeb, the Harvard astronomy professor who just recently wrote a book about uh, he's. And this is a Harvard astronomy professor. He's convinced, and he writes a whole book to describe it, and he's been on this podcast. He's convinced that a, a, a UFO made by aliens has recently crossed through our solar system, and he makes kind of the proof for it. So that might be an idea for a morning radio show.
0: Yeah, that kind of stuff. So what I'm looking to do, if I just, you know, keeping this focus on the glamorous parts of my career, I'm looking to make, Let's say whatever money I'm making now, put it on the side. I would love my podcast to make 200 grand a year. I mean, that's, which sounds crazy. No, Uh, it's doable. Yeah, I would love my podcast to make two hundred grand a year so I could pursue more creative uh, things and not just my business life uh, and my performing life. But maybe, maybe it's time to start a personal life. You've been married two to three times, twice in the time that and I, you know, right? Uh, like the joke about me right now is that I want to graduate straight to my trophy wife. At this point, if there are any young women listening to this show, uh, I'm damaged goods for not being damaged goods. I'm forty something and single and I'm damaged goods because I don't have an ex-wife. People wonder what the hell's wrong with him that he never got married in the first place. Is he gay? Does he have commitment issues?
1: So now I've heard you say, that, okay, in the po- in the comedy world, you're sort of middle of the road and people are looking down at you. In the relationship world, uh, I'm damaged goods. Uh, in yeah. the podcasting world, I, I'm not getting enough celebrities on, so my podcast is not getting out there. Like, tell me, tell me, tell, like, you also told me Barbara Walters, rec- or no, Rosie O'Donnell recommended you to Barbara Walters, yeah. who then called you while you were being a merman and yeah like so that there's great stuff too so like what's what's the
0: best thing what's the thing you love most right now what i love most right now is i'm enjoying the podcast whining about my problems like right now it sounds stupid but i'm enjoying i'm i'm shifting my focus where i'm enjoying trying to break through well, okay. I'm enjoying. Like, if I weren't trying to break through, I wouldn't be having this great conversation with you. So, so, okay. So let's
1: put a pin in that. That's that's one thing is that you're you're enjoying a podcast where you're vulnerable and you're talking to people in different aspects of life who are giving your insight into your your vulnerability. And by the way, what's great about being vulnerable is vulnerability buys freedom. Once you admit to everything, no one could say, Tom. You're a shitty this or that. You're like, I know, I already spoke about that to millions of people on my podcast. So, uh, uh, so, so that's good. you know what
0: you know what scares me, James. So I actually had. A great year in this pandemic. I wasn't making the money I was making before the pandemic, but I had money coming in. I had health insurance. I was entertaining thirty to sixty people a day, which is more than a lot of comedians. And you know what I'm you know what I'm afraid of, James? The world going back to normal. Sure. How about that? Uh, right. I actually adapted very well to the pandemic. I started going for bike rides. I got time with my mom and dad. Uh, I got to be a good uncle for a little bit. Uh, The one thing I wanted to do more of that I didn't start doing till now is travel. Like right now I'm podcasting from a beach house in Maine. Uh, I got an off season rental. It was cold a couple of nights, but it was toasty for a couple of others, but I'm in Maine. I biked 30, uh, actually no, I biked 23 miles today. Uh, I saw a lighthouse, you know, like I was away from Ethan the homeless guy on my street corner. Uh, I, I like that stuff. By the way, I will say, to
1: me, you sound happier or filled with more well-being, let's call it, than you were, let's say, one year ago today. Then I, I think, think you so. were a little bit, I think you were a little bit more anxious about what was going on. And, yes. and now you have a couple of spokes happening, which is one spoke is writing for morning radio. Uh, another spoke is podcast.
0: Another spoke is you're still doing Tamron Hall, right? Like how, how are you doing uh, I'm doing Tamron Hall. Like? I don't know. Uh, so Tamron Hall is one more week and then I don't know what's going to happen for September. Uh, you know, like I, I'm i looking at, I guess you, here's the right thing, James, is I want to hang on to the best parts of the pandemic without uh, going backwards. Like I, I want...
1: All Here's right. That's right, a great question. That yeah. is a great question. So that is a pivotal question. So you want to, you want to figure out a way to use these skills you've developed, but while yeah. living the lifestyle you want to live, like you were saying you were happy when you just said you bike 30 miles, like you can't, yeah. you're not going to do that in New York city and then perform at like, you know, grungy standup clubs in New York city all night long. So so okay, but so a couple of things you've mentioned though contribute to the this type of lifestyle, which is a podcast you could do from anywhere. But mm-hmm. like you said, you're experimenting and I would I would hit the accelerator on experimenting on, on the podcast. And um uh you're you're doing this morning radio thing which by the way to me all the stuff you're doing sounds really cool like i want to try being a warm up comedian and you're you've been doing it for like every show in the world like that sounds like a cool job because as opposed to a club those people want to laugh they get what you're doing and the audience wants to help you do well at your job and it, i imagine it as as a warm up comedian and and it's well, it's a, you it's know, a captive it's, audience because they're there because they're excited about who they're going to see and they realize this is part of the game.
0: So uh, for the sake of this moment, let me have a minute of confidence. For this moment for this moment of confidence, let's say I might be one of the best warm-up comedians in the city, if not the country.
1: I'm willing to believe it. I, okay, I, for I think, the sake of the story, let's believe I, this. this. I, is, I know this quite Irish. a few warm-up comedians and- you could be the best of
0: all the well, people I know who are warm no, up comedians. I, but now, this is Irish Catholic humility kicking in there, but where it's hard to say that. But for the sake of the story, let me say this. What is my secret to being the best warm up comedian in the country is I'm aiming much higher than being a warm up comedian. And I think the guys and girls I know who are great at doing warm up work are the ones that don't go in and say, ah, I'm okay with it. All right, that's enough. Like I, a couple of people in the last uh, couple of weeks have said, Tom, I think I just want to be a warm-up comedian for the last couple of years of my career. Okay, but here. Uh,
1: but by the way, I'm going to stop you there. And I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, I dropped. The word "just" is lazy yeah. thinking.
0: No, no, and I get yes, and that's also how people look at me. They're like, and I'm like, fuck you, just. Yeah. Fuck you, just.
1: If you say the word "just," it means there's some giving up, and so you have to justify what you're doing. Oh, I'm just going to be a warm-up comedian because it's, it's it has to be followed by a because. I don't want to do this, or I can't do this, or no one's giving me this opportunity, or this makes life easier because I don't have to think about my career. Like there's something always wrong with the, the just like, oh, I just want to get settled down and get, and have kids. Well, you've just made, that's a lazy way to think about how to have a really, a meaningful and life improving relationship is, oh, I just want to have kids, you know, or I just want to have a nice little small apartment by the beach. Uh,
0: it's lazy thinking. Well, along, and, and along those lines is, listen, I feel like I, listen, to your point, I've done all these amazing things. I have performed at Radio City Music Hall. I have performed in fronts of crowds for 20,000 people. Uh, I've done Zoom for a year. I'm one of four people doing warm up on Zoom every day. So to your point, I'm very accomplished, but I also feel like there is a next level that I'm just missing. And I don't know if it's maybe because uh, I can't beat the algorithms when I'm using Facebook ads. Like, I feel like I have some something that I'm saying, that I'm not getting out to the world and that I just keep tripping. Like I'm, I feel like I'm Charlie Brown kicking a damn football and I can't kick the damn football into the field goal.
1: I totally get it. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you some more questions. So for the morning radio stuff that you write, what do you like like today or yesterday whenever the last time you did this what did you write what did you what did you write so
0: without and again i I don't want to i made i don't want to go too far down the morning radio show road because i think i'm starting to break a couple of ndas with this stuff but uh but yeah like i write bullshit for us to like actually a topic that one of the stations used today was uh are you the kind of person who can't leave your house without your apple watch fully charged okay and then people started calling it can you not leave your house when your devices are charged uh so, so what does
1: that mean so they do a segment where
0: they get yeah do you find yeah like i find conversations that people would call in for for a big thing and why so did if you I come
1: were, up with that one like was there news today about the apple fitbit or like or whatever no,
0: i uh so uh, i can't flip the computer because there's too many wires in but there's a beautiful beach uh right behind you and this morning i woke up i was gonna go bike riding for 20 miles and uh my my watch was not charged, and i couldn't enjoy the workout unless i had 20 miles of tracking in so instead i had a cup of coffee while i waited for the watch to charge
1: <laughs> that's
0: funny so that
1: gave you the idea to write that you, you, you don't and look then, at the yeah. local news or whatever
0: Oh, and then you look at the news and stuff, but here's the thing with the internet now. Uh, and I think it's the same thing about comedy is everybody's looking at the local news. That's why, I, listen, by the time you watch Jimmy Kimmel, there's been a million tweets that are just as funny as whatever Jimmy Kimmel says. You know, like, by, that's why late night comedy is dead to your point about TV sort of being dead. Yeah, uh, i I kind of tried to rely on personal experience. Actually, a great one that I got from a waitress uh, up here in Maine was I kind I kind of asked her out and she I asked her if she was single and she said, I'm in between relationships. And my feeling was, well, that what the fuck does that mean? Uh, and That's you know, a great topic. <laughs> yeah. What does it mean when someone's in between relationships? If you're in between relationships, that should be when I'm allowed to hit on you. Right. I don't want to hit on you when you're at the end of a relationship or at the beginning of a relationship. That's the sweet spot. And what it really meant was, Tom, I don't want to date you. Right, because what is it?
1: What the the word "in between" sort of implies? She knows when the next one's going to start and who it's going to be with, and so which which she doesn't know. So there's kind of like it's kind of like an implicit lie when someone says I'm in between relationships.
0: Well, I think it was a graceful way of saying I don't want to lie and say I'm single. Or actually, here's the right thing: the way to say it is I don't want to lie and pretend I have a significant other, but I don't want to give you the false impression that you should be flirting. Is what she really was saying. And
1: did you were you able to say hey? I warm up the view. I'm the warm-up comment for the view. You know what?
0: I d- I hate. I warmed up to the Jonas Brothers. I was uh, their yeah, like, like you know what? I if here's a thing that I like to say, James. If if you have to say, do you know who I am to people? And they it generally means they don't.
1: Well, that's a good point. But here's what yeah. you could say. Uh, here's what you could say though. You kind of have to give off the aura of like. Here's the reason we all do things really in part because we love it, because you love doing comedy and this stuff, but also in part because you want to impress other people. Like, it's it's okay to admit that. And so it's not like you want to say, hey, man, I'm like, you know, you should go out with me. I'm the warm-up comic for the Jonas Brothers. But uh it's sort of like you have you know to what? exude it a little more.
0: You know what you know you want a you want a funny one James. Here's a funny one about you. That I like about you. Here you are, you are a multimillionaire blah blah blah, lost his money 3 times, regained it 3 times, blah blah blah, owned half the club, blah blah blah. What I liked about you is for the first 2 months I knew you, I thought you were the guy who fixed the comedy club's computers. <laughs> Yeah,
1: that uh, no, and that's I, your
0: vibe. I like that, yeah. but I like that vibe. I it's like why the I IT liked, guy. Yes, you were you were the IT guy on the Upper West Side. Yeah, you know, just uh, the
1: comedy IT guy. Like I would go around all the comedy clubs fixing their comedy computer. This computer is not funny enough. I need to plug it, take, plug it out, and plug it in again.
0: So, you know, if I if I am picking your brain for advice, uh, like for new guys starting podcasts, how are you suggesting they get the word out? They have a podcast you know, you
1: can't. So the only way is, is this is why like mar- marketing a podcast is one of the most frustrating things in the world because nothing works. The only thing that works is having a podcast. Here, Here's the way to think about it. You want a podcast that people cannot not listen to. <laughs> so what I mean is y- y- they, 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 they have to listen to it because if they don't listen to it, they're missing out on some critical piece of information that will either help their lives or help them communicate better with their friends. Like you know, you want the sort of podcast that they're going to say at a party, like, Oh my gosh, I just listened to this one story on Tom Kelly's podcast that blew my mind and changed me in some way. They can't not not listen to it because the next one might change them even more. And so that's, the best way to market the podcast. Like, I mean, some of the first few podcasts I did, the first few episodes I did were with, were with celebrities, but really it's when, you know, I would ask questions, you know, like for instance, I was, uh, this is just a small example, but I was talking to Coolio in 2014 on my podcast. And he's saying all this stuff about, you know, his rap career. But then it's like, what, what happened to you? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I had some problems with cocaine. I had to get over that. And then I got interested in cooking. I'm like, wait, 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 you have problems with cocaine. Like, how do you get over that? And so here's Coolio talking about how he got over his addiction problem. I've never seen an article about that, about one of the most famous rappers of all time. So it's like you, 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 whenever you get curious, you're, it's your unique curiosity, and you're a very curious person. Like you're asking yourself, "What does it mean to be in between relationships?" Like, yeah, you know, you have to just like dive into really deep. You you have to not think about what's going to make this a good podcast. You have to dive in really deep. What are you personally curious about? And no, nothing else is more. It's your podcast. Nothing else is more important than getting the answer to that question. The other thing I learned about Coolio, just to ma- mention that episode again, is he wrote lyrics. For 17 years, every single day before he had a hit. And that was an interesting lesson for me. I thought this was like, this guy was like God's gift from heaven in in rapping talent. He wrote lyrics every day for 17 years before he had one single hit. And so, you know, you should be really curious to get the podcast out there.
0: So did you have with the podcast, uh, you, you know, You Squared and Price Pritchett, right? No. Okay, you square, we'll put you squared on the side for a second, but uh, you know what the concept of a quantum leap is? Yeah. Okay, did you have your quantum leap moment with podcasting where, was there one moment where suddenly things started happening? No, I feel like I'm always learning, but I had, Like, was I, it always snowball? Wait, for the numbers, let's start with the numbers for a second, okay. you're a data guy. I,
1: did the, was I, it
0: snowballing, you know?
1: I had a quantum leap moment with writing. And writing led to an audience, which led to the podcast. So uh, my quantum leap with writing was around 2010. And before that, I'd been, I, I was a quirky writer. I was always known as a financial writer. I'd write about like, I wrote for the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal. I'd wrote about like stocks and finance, but I was always quirky. I'd always include a story. I was probably a little bit more literary than the average financial writer. I would definitely say that was my uniqueness in financial writing. But then in 2010, I had this, moment where I realized, you know what? All these financial writers I know or talking heads on the news. They're all just full of shit. Like they're all lying all the time. I know all of them. They've all gone broke or some of them are broke right now. And they're on TV in their suits talking about what stocks people should buy. And, and so I decided I'm just going to admit everything. I've been broke several times. I've been miserable. I've been suicidal. I've been married and unmarried and I've been cheated on. I've been this and then that. And this is when I realized what I said earlier, vulnerability buys freedom. And that's not why you be vulnerable. Well, maybe it is. Freedom is a key component of feeling good about yourself. And I realized for my writing, for nobody wants to hear about Apple stock for the billionth time. They wanna hear, and by the way, they don't wanna hear about me going broke. They wanna hear that somebody, or that many people out there, and it's exemplified by the way I would tell my story. Somebody has had miserable moments just like them, and ha- and they've, tried to bounce back or they're trying to bounce back or they did bounce back or here's what was happening at their low lowest point, which nobody ever admits. Even now when people try to admit it, they're always like, Oh, you know, good thing. I have this and this, like people are afraid to admit they're afraid to be really vulnerable because they're they're worried about what other people are going to think of them. And that was my quantum leap moment was really diving deep into writing about the things I was afraid of and, and failed at, like I wrote for an entrepreneurship blog for a while as well, where I said this is how I failed as an entrepreneur. When I failed, they don't nobody wants to hear like how you made like a hundred million dollars. They want to hear like when you went broke and then bounced back, and or or here's when I got heckled at at up comedy. No one wants to hear about how oh I wanted to stand up comedy and it was just great all the time. They want to hear about when you when you failed at it, and so and you're doing that now with your podcast. You're being yeah. vulnerable.
0: Like it's funny you uh, you hit a few nails. Through you, I can see where certain things have done well for me. Uh, I'm owning my mess. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to remember the... Like, I'm trying to turn my midlife crisis into a midlife renaissance. And... By the
1: way, I was your age when all this. Like, how old are you right now?
0: I just turned 45 uh, last week. Okay, so in 2010, I was
1: 42. And... But it really... I would say I really hit the stride with it. Like, around 2013, when I had this book, Choose Yourself, come out. And I was about 45. So... Uh, you know, and then right after that, I started doing stand up. So, and yeah. by the way, the thing that was keeping me back in stand up was I didn't know how to translate that vulnerability and that I was doing so well with, with not only in writing but in my podcast. I was having a hard time translating that into stand up, and I think what was holding me back at stand up was trying to be too much like other. Comedians, I would see. And I see podcasters do that as well. They're like, okay, this guy just wrote a book. I'm going to interview them, and then I'll get the same downloads as Joe Rogan or whatever. And it just doesn't work that way. You always have to find your new thing. What makes you don't want to be the better podcast, you want to be the only podcast. Or you or you don't want to be the better warm-up comedian. You want to be the only warm-up comedian yeah. who does what you do. And probably for a warm-up, that's why Rosie O'Donnell would recommend you to Barbara Walters. There's some aspect of what you do there that's the only. Like you're not just like a rah-rah energy guy. You probably do hit on some emotional level that the rah-rah guys don't hit is my guess.
0: Yeah, and I guess where I'm at, it's I, I'm trying to find my unique, if my body is a chorus, you know, if each skill is a chorus, I'm trying to get them to sing together in my own unique way. I'm trying to make my my inner boy band doesn't have harmony, you know, like, I mean, like, like it sounds stupid, but I really do mean that I work hard at being a good human being. When I joke that all the other comedians we know are going to hell, they're not all going to hell, but a lot of them are, but a couple, a couple
1: couple of them. I would say most of them are, which is why my (laughs) wife is
0: glad that I don't do as much comedy as I used to. Cause like most of them are. But can I, can I take being a good person, uh, maybe to your point about being in tune to emotional energy and my own vulnerability and taking that somewhere? And that's sort it, of what I put on the table.
1: And your ability to communicate. Like, like, I started writing in 1990, my first published article, or my, let's just say my first book was in not until 2004, so 14 years later, and I didn't really hit my stride till 20 years. Almost to the day after I started writing, you've put in that twenty years building a skill of communicating, and now now you just got to go raw and you, and then that's what's going to propel the podcast. That's what's going to propel the warm up, and it's not doesn't mean talking about yourself. It means talking about yourself in a way that you're really talking about everybody. So like, it's not just saying like I went broke in this special way. It's that I went broke just like everybody else who's afraid to admit it. And here's what I did, and I'm talking to them about them, but using myself as the example, uh, not bragging. Oh, I was, you know, uh, uh, you know, the worst in the world. Like, uh, just like sk- the skills of communicating help you communicate a message so that they feel that it's happening to them, or that it, you're, you're speaking directly to them. And I bet you do that with the warm up with. Uh, it sounds like you're doing that or starting to do that with the the radio stuff. You're doing it with starting to do it with the podcast. And then you experiment with that, like, and the experimenting never ends. Like, you know, with writing, how do you experiment? Like, Well, one time I, I was frustrated with my relationship with my, one of my 13 year old daughters, and I wrote a letter from her to me where she was just complaining about me and everyone related to that. So, or I wrote another article, which is I wish she was a lesbian um, because guys suck and guys know they suck. And most women know guys suck. And so people kind of related to that or they're shocked by it. So there's got a little bit of shock value without being on purpose provocative. There's always a little shock, value. you always have to say with everything you do, you always have to say, what am I doing that no one else has ever done before?
0: Well, I'll tell you two things that have stuck out in what you've just said in the last few minutes. One, I like your phrase, aura of confidence. I don't even know if I use that phrase. <laughs> you, or you use the word aura of something. Uh, like we were talking about being oh, at yeah, the bars and stuff like yeah. that. Exude, okay, let me, I'm actually taking notes.
1: And not, not in a fake way. Like, you know, you, you should know who you are. Like so that, and that's why vulnerability buys freedom. Like if you're, if you're a, a, a screw up in some way, just be being comfortable with that as opposed to thinking, Oh, what's she going to think of me if she thinks I'm a screw up? Okay. I'm a screw up, but I still open up for Barbara Walters and the Jonas brothers and fill tens of thousands of seats. I have that skill that that other people don't have.
0: So one, one thought, and it's funny when I booked this, I thought you were going to say something like, all right, Tom, all you need is an email assistant on Fiverr. I thought you were going to give me something much less deep. So thank you for this conversation. Uh, When I thought I was coming here to uh, help, you know, I thought I was coming here to say, all right, James is going to help me promote the Tom Kelly Show podcast. And he's going to say, do this on Fiverr, get this app for your email list and uh, hire this guy as your personal assistant. Uh, You gave me a couple of deep emotional thoughts thoughts here. Cause the one thing I think I'm missing that I'm getting from talking to you is I need to also imply maybe a happy ending each episode, or maybe I need those uh, or show some growth Not at the end of each episode. or
1: Maybe give a cliffhanger each episode. By the way, I haven't seen many podcasts give cliffhangers at the end of each episode. I don't really do that. Like I don't, I don't close an episode by saying, and then I went broke again, but stay tuned for next week. Where I tell will tell you more of that. <laughs> like I've never done that, so that's probably worth an experiment. The other thing is, there's no one. I th- I think when I was first starting stand up, I made the mistake of separating it out from my other spokes. But like here here you have all these ideas, all these questions. Okay, now I'll give specific advice like like that. Like yeah. you should start posting your thoughts and and ideas and questions on Facebook, for instance, and, and, and they should be, again, your vulnerability, people should be able to say, I can't believe he just wrote that on his Facebook post. And they should say that, and and you should be worried what they think of you after each Facebook post. And so you should say, this is what I'm thinking about this morning. Like I can't go running until my Apple watch is charged because of these five reasons. Um, does anyone else have this problem? And then will and then you should share it to a couple of different groups you're in. So people see, oh, this is shareable. And then they start sharing it because people want to do what other people are doing. And then you should also post that on LinkedIn. You should answer questions on Quora. You should, you know, you should post everywhere. You're a, you, like, you don't want to say the topics that you show to the radio shows, share them because it's it, the audiences are all different. Yeah. Your Facebook audience is different than whoever's listening to radio in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. So I used to write the same article in the wall street journal and the financial times, and then take that article and put it in a book. And no one will ever once mentioned, Hey, I read that already i read that in the wall street journal because no one reads the other places
0: so so actually one interesting problem i've had like i have 17 uh 17, instagram followers it might be i think it's less than that but i'm, I'm transposing a number somewhere let's make it seventeen thousand. no it's 14.7 14.7 thousand uh instagram followers i'm having trouble converting
1: right because you're not having trouble converting let me see what's your what's your instagram
0: account uh Tom Kelly Show. Uh and then while everyone else is looking Tom Kelly show on uh Snapchat, though I don't really work there, uh I've been Tom Kelly Show on TikTok. TikTok's been driving me crazy. I'm not, yeah, TikTok I think is a game of the algorithm. Everybody I know now suddenly thinks they're uh they've beaten the Chinese algorithm. But by, by the way, you're um, not having
1: trouble converting at all. I would say like Instagram, you're getting about a um three percent. Oh wait, let me just see. Uh, you're on a uh I see. This is, there's views and there's likes. Okay. Sometimes you're getting like a good three, 4% response. You're getting views. Uh, that's about normal conversion on Instagram. So so everything converts at about 2%. Like if I tweet, go watch this show, uh, maybe, maybe one half percent of my, you know, listeners on Twitter will, will click on that link, maybe even less. So, so you're, you're, you're getting a normal conversion rate there. You just have to be in many places. So you, you you have you have some skills and you have some knowledge about lots of different things. Well, answer questions on Quora. Write about it on LinkedIn. Hey, you wanna? Here are the ten skills you need to be a good warm up comedian. And here's how, why you'd want to be a, uh, have those skills, even if you're not a warm up comedian. Uh, so, like, where do you put the? Where would you put an article like that? I would put it on LinkedIn because you know why? If you're if, if what do people do at a job? They have like a ton of you know meetings in a conference room that are really boring. In other words, if you have the knowledge to do your job, but you also have the skills of a warm-up comedian, you're going to kill in a meeting at a corporate job. So, I would put that on LinkedIn and Facebook. By the way, I would put on Facebook. I would put it like, "Here is my worst in what experience." It, just Facebook, you know, the, your, in your status updates, I would put a whole article. Like, do you have a personal and a fan account? I do, but I never use the fan account. I only use the, the personal accounts where I get response even though I have like 300,000 followers on the fan account, it's useless to me. The personal account is where I put things. And then I'll share from my personal account to other groups that I'm in. But uh, I always put, I think I was one of the first doing this back in like 2009, 2010. I'll put full articles as a status update on Facebook, like 3000 word articles. And uh, that's where your core audience, your, your people who you're friends with, who your family, I would put like the stuff you're really scared to admit on Facebook, and that's a great focus group to see. Hey, I got a decent response here. Uh, I'm gonna now put this on LinkedIn, Medium. I'm gonna find questions to answer on Quora related to this. I'm gonna maybe put a Twitter thread about this. I'm gonna I'll just find other places to to put this. I mean, maybe I'll make an Instagram post. I sometimes put articles on an Instagram status update, so there's a little bit more of a character limit there. But that's good, you know. Also, so it keeps you tight the the writing. But I would, you know, I would think of more spokes to put things, and you grow a general audience, and your audience gravitates. Oh, now he's going to do a podcast about this. I'm going to listen to what he says about it.
0: Here's a here's one thing that I think we've been missing as comedians, and I don't know how to do it. We need some sort of like a comedy co op, for lack of a better word, where we compile certain shared resources. Like I'd love to know, like like if we had a list of all the good audio editors, all the good video editors. Okay. Uh, so
1: here's like, there. Do you know that newsletter that's about comedy called Humorism? Um, it's a horrible, horrible newsletter. It's this guy. He's always just complaining about who, which comedians are politically correct or not. So there's nothing actually about oh, comedy.
0: I know, but oh, I know, uh, and I
1: just got it like
0: two, 19 minutes ago, actually, uh, Seth. Seth something. Yeah, Seth I've heard something about. I've heard good and bad things about him. Okay, so so yeah, he is he good? Do you like him? Uh, you like
1: him? I no, I don't. But I read the newsletter because I I I want to see. And look, he's doing his thing. He's got an audience for his thing, which is kind of the woke audience who gets upset at comedy. I guess I don't know, but he doesn't actually. He's, there's nothing actually humorous. Why don't you do a, an actual newsletter about you know? what you need to know and have and do for these different types of comedy and like uh, people so comedians there's there's millions of people trying to either want to be stand up comedians people who just started people who have been doing it a while
0: there's a million topics And how do you set up a newsletter like this sound, now I sound like my uh, uncle how do you set up one of these newsletters Okay
1: go to uh, go to a place like substack.com and Substack you like Yeah and you could set up a you could actually set up a four-pay newsletter in minutes but do a free newsletter at first and uh uh and then you start tweeting about it like every episode or every issue oh okay here's here's the five pieces of equipment or here's the type of clothing a comedian should wear at a club uh or here's the 10 skills you need to know as a warm-up comedian or here's the five shows that are currently hiring warm-up comedians you can't be afraid to give away well, your secret
0: knowledge. Well, here's the thing with the warm-up comedian thing, and I, I, I almost this is part of why I hate telling people what I do. Is there's only four jobs like mine in the city? I don't need anybody else applying. It sounds stupid.
1: No, I know, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back a little bit and I, I see where you're coming from and it's okay. Maybe you're right. That That's like
0: me saying, I don't know. James has the hot, uh, stock tip, uh, on what, like you were talking about setting up your own version of, uh, uh, the podcast recorder. Yeah. Everybody well, should make a podcast recorder because you know, or yeah, but you know what, guess what? I have said that I've,
1: I am starting a company where I'm creating my own competitor to zoom just for podcasters. I've described it in detail on my podcast over the past six, seven, eight months if anyone competes that's fine it's it's but but you're the best at what you do you don't need to work you're you're abundant you don't need to worry about competition
0: yeah you do have to worry about it for price point uh maybe i don't know like yeah uh, trust me on that (laughs) trust me on that well okay but if you're doing one show can't you talk about the other shows that are hiring no listen i don't even want to get too into like so here's the deal part of my thing about here's the deal with my career is I don't want anybody to like, it sounds awful, but I don't want anybody to know my credits. That's why I want to push this podcast. I mean, I really, at this point, I'd rather, it's kind of like, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like knowing you have a good fruit tree. You don't want everybody picking like it's who moved my cheese. I don't need everybody coming to my corner of the who moved okay, my cheese book.
1: Fair enough. But some things that, that, that you're great at, that you have a kind of a monopoly on or, or abundance in some things you have to share without fear. I could see some things you keep, you, you keep in. Like for instance, when I look for investment opportunities, I don't always immediately share them, but, uh, most things I do, like if I'm starting a company, I will share it from day one, what I'm doing long before I finish it, because I'm confident if someone competes with me, they deserve it. If someone doesn't, in most cases, I think there no one's going to compete with me, and I'm also coming up with nonstop ideas, so I'm not that worried. I have you have to have a feeling of abundance, and but I get it. Some things you keep close yeah. to the best, but only some things. Everything else, share as much as possible. Like here's the here are the ten keys to being a better warm up com- comedian than me, or here's the difference between warm up comedy yeah. and stand up comedy, or here's just five clips I like this week. It's it's it's. Friday clip issue and it's here's five, five clips you have to know about that are just hilarious. Or here's two specials that came out this week that, and my reviews of them or whatever, like you could do one of these comedy resource type newsletters. I don't think anyone's doing one because the only one I subscribe to sucks. So no offense, Seth, but the only one I'm subscribing to <laughs> sucks.
0: So, uh, uh and and, you know, but like, yet a lot of But you're to your point, and uh, maybe I'm going to email this guy to tell him to see if he could write about my podcast. Uh, either I will get promoted or canceled uh, pretty damn quick. Yeah, getting canceled is a good way to get uh, listeners. By the way, you know it's an idea.
1: Yeah. So so I'm just saying, keep doing all these ideas. It's not just about getting the podcast out there. It's about getting you out there in different ways. Yeah,
0: no, and listen, and I think we started getting to it again, and I'd love to revisit you either uh, recorded or off air. What I like about talking to you, and uh, as I say this now, one hour and 15 minutes into the show, (laughs) um, like, with you, there's always 10 crazy ideas. It's your damn book, Skipping By the way, are you still pushing that book? Why am I promoting Skipping the Line more than uh, you are?
1: I'm always pushing it, but you know, uh, I could only push it so much. I, what I tend to do is well, I, I retweet people who have read it and who have commented. And-
0: fine. Well, let me say it to you. Uh, the book made a difference. Now, is it the most... Listen, the stuff you're talking about, Napoleon Hill was talking about it in the 40s in the book. There's other ways to get it, but your unique perspective within the 21st century really got me thinking, and I probably should have said this to you an hour and 17 minutes ago now is I need new doors to knock on and new ways to knock on that door. And you gave me a few ideas for that. Yeah.
1: And like, for instance, when you start, let's say you start a newsletter and it could be about anything, but let's just say it's about resources and comedy and different aspects of comedy that people haven't approached yet. Uh, every issue put it on put it on facebook put it on twitter put it on instagram mention it on your podcast you can, yeah you know sponsor your podcast from your own newsletter this po- i'll do it right now this podcast the james Alter show is sponsored by tom kelly's new, upcoming newsletter and it's also sponsored by the tom kelly show you can find it at tom charlie tom or listen on apple Podcasts or listen on spotify I, <laughs>
0: How much are you and Jay charging for a spot on this show? Maybe that's what I should have just done is buy a spot at the beginning.
1: <laughs> yeah, you would have saved an hour and a half of time. Uh, I don't know, actually. We we charge as much as we can. Okay, this is this is information I, I don't usually share because- Oh,
0: well, James, uh, somebody told me that you shouldn't <laughs> keep this sort of stuff close to the vest. You should give it out to people so everybody knows what they can do.
1: Well, it's just like I don't share, okay, th- this is how to be like- uh as great as me, like that's like sharing that's like bragging. I don't want to brag <laughs> so that's, okay. that's what I'm scarce with but I'll, I'll, if it, if it's something that shits on me, I'm happy to talk about it. If I can't i uh I'm trying to think, Jay, are there any advertisers who have rejected us? That's what I'll share. Jay, what advertisers have rejected us?
0: uh <clears throat> I don't think I have <clears throat> I, don't, I don't think any advertisers have rejected us. Well wait all. rejected you for you have gone to them or the other way around? Uh, yeah,
1: that I've gone to them. I've definitely rejected some advertisers, but okay, though, you yeah. know what? Guests have rejected us, though. Who's a recent guest that, okay, I wanted Jordan Peterson to come on my podcast oh, yeah. again. He came on the first time. And not only that, when nobody else would film the documentary about him, I had Stand Up New York open the film in New York City for him. And uh, I've also invested in a company Jordan Peterson started and Jordan didn't come, uh, uh, said he can't come on my podcast, but I get it, he's been, he's been a little ill for a while and he only went on a limited amount of podcasts, but he rejected coming on my podcast and I was a little uh, sad about it.
0: Yeah, I'm not into that. I, I feel like Seth at Humorism won't be appearing on your podcast any soon after the last well, few minutes. Well, the
1: invitation is open to him, but- uh, you, Did
0: you invite him, all kidding aside, did you invite him on? No. Uh, oh. I, I really, I really
1: think he does a, and, and, and by the way, this is not about him personally, nobody should attack him, but I really think he does a disservice to comedy calling a, a newsletter humorism when all he does is talk about people who are politically incorrect. Co- in, in a comedy club, people say shit. That's just well, what's to But do- hang
0: on, but hang on. There's a difference. I'm going to take this guy, Seth, side for a second. Sure. There's a difference between comedy and humor. Okay, tell me.
1: Comedy I agree is- you, I agree with you, by yeah. the way.
0: But like- I think- Tell me. Like, and it's funny. Sometimes I've, I've had someone- Oh, and I got so pissed about this, uh, James. So pissed. Uh, somebody called me a humorist. And I'm like, no, a humorist is like, yeah, I'm a nice person who's kind of like, yeah, you know, like a, like comedy is funny every 15 seconds. It's a reaction every 15 seconds. And it's also, it's humor, crowd
1: work, it's likability, which is not, which is disconnected now, from humor.
0: however you do it, I'm a comedian. I may be a crowd work comedian at times, but I am a crowd work comedian and I get a reaction, hopefully every 15 seconds if I'm doing it well. Every 20, if I'm doing it bad, every 10, if I'm doing it great. Humor is you could take an hour and it's oh yeah that's kind of funny like the payoff isn't as quick
1: it's different right that's why if you get skills at stand-up comedy and then you take that into public speaking or being an MC at auctions as you mentioned it's you've 10x your ability in public speaking because the audience of a public speaker doesn't expect to laugh every 15 seconds you're great if you make them laugh every two minutes because the speaker right before you didn't make them laugh at all so yeah, uh, uh, that that's the real use of comedy skills, and also it makes you a better performer. Like I could always tell so who, someone who's not into stand up—they go on stage and it almost looks like they're an actor or they're acting. Whereas a stand-up comedian, there's this notion that it's not about telling jokes; it's about telling the truth and in a in a funny way or a humorous way, and just telling jokes. I've seen some comedians do that; it doesn't work as well, or just like acting a role doesn't do as well, but. Uh, but, but this guy with humorism, he's, you know, he, he's just like, oh, this one person said something about, I don't know, some group. And that's really the, the, the comedy owner should have called him out and should never book him again. Like a comedy club, nobody, nobody's going to go to a comedy club to stand up there and be a racist. Like that's the last thing racists do is go up on stage and be standup comedians. So it's just ridiculous to like, Uh, you know, call out every single person who said one joke you don't like. And that's what this guy does. Uh, And I would say I've said it to his face. He knows what I think. So it's not like I'm saying something that's a surprise. Yeah,
0: I I don't know the guy. I'm going to have to look him up. See, that's the other thing too, is because of the nature of my career, I kind of live in a bubble. I don't follow these things. I don't subscribe to this guy. I have a Twitter account, but, but Twitter and Instagram seem to show me hot cheerleaders much more than other comedians. I guess it's a problem with what I'm hitting like on.
1: Yeah, right, you're, you're in an echo chamber of, ho-
0: of, of hot cheerleaders. Yeah, so or maybe that's what I should be doing is I should be cheerleading. I think I got my answer, James. Thank you.
1: You're, uh, you're welcome. And I will just add, just keep thinking of the spokes to get your unique word out. And then sometimes you have to think about what is your unique word? What is it that you want to say?
0: Oh, I'll tell you right now. My unique word is I'm trying to do better.
1: Okay. That's a great thing because then, okay, then let me ask this. How today are you trying to do better? I know you're coming on my podcast. I failed you completely, but what other ways are you trying to do better?
0: So, uh I'm so I've been dieting. I'm down 15 pounds. You're looking great. Uh, I can tell
1: on Squadcast.
0: I am Shout out to Squadcast. Uh, thank you, Squadcast. Uh thank you, Squadcast. Thank you, JD Engineer, for making me use this amazing platform. Are we making money off them? Uh Squadcast? No. Oh, fuck you, Squadcast. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, uh, but I like what else did I get out of these guys? Um Like my, how am I trying to do better? Like I, I mean, I came up here to Maine to quiet down for a while. I'm trying to track my revelations. Uh, You know, what else am I doing? I'm trying to, you know, I'm going to church. Sounds stupid, but I'm going to church once a week. Uh, I mean, I don't even know if I'm necessarily religious, but I like going to a quiet place and praying to whatever the hell God is, uh, for me once a week. Uh, and by the way, I go to church on Mondays for any Catholics listening out there. Catholic church is so much better on Mondays. It's short. They get, they get you in and out in half an hour. They don't even bother passing the plate. They feel like if you are at church on a Monday, you got enough problems. You keep the dollar.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. What's the funniest thing that you've ever that you've ever learned about Jesus? What's the funniest thing Jesus has ever done? Is there an answer to that?
0: Is he just not a funny guy? Yeah. So, uh, I'll tell you. It's funny. I have I have real therapy at four o'clock, so I got to go in four minutes. Uh, but I'll give you a great story. Uh, that a guy, Joe Starr, a Long Island comic, and actor uh, once told me, the Jesus theory of comedy. Um, So true story, this is in the Bible. Uh, And I'll tell it to you the way Joe Starr told it to me as a comic, he's like 2000 years ago, there was a guy named Jesus Christ. And one day at the age of 12, Jesus Christ woke up and said, holy cow, I'm the son of God. And this is in the Bible. This is in the New Testament. Jesus goes down from wherever his house is. He goes down to the temple and he gives a great little lecture to all the people in the temple. And, like, uh, and the people really thought he gave a great chat. And then the rabbi said, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. Jesus, Jesus, you're not the son of God. You're Joe to Carpenter's kid. Get the heck out of here, buddy. So Jesus leaves and true story this also in the Bible. Nobody knows really where Jesus went from age 12 to 33. Uh, but he goes around to all these little towns in the Middle East. He goes to Israel, he goes to like Jerusalem, he goes to Bethlehem, he goes to Damascus. And then he comes back to Nazareth about 20 years later and they throw a parade for him and they're like, holy cow, Jesus, we knew you were the son of God. We knew you could do it. He built up such a following uh, that uh, the moral of the story is that even Jesus had to play the road to be seen as a hero in his hometown.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know. By the way, and- by the way, that's really interesting because I always use this example when people can't get a promotion at their job, but they can go somewhere else and they're mm-hmm. a hero. Je- the one place where Jesus w- was made fun of was in Nazareth. <laughs>
0: Yeah, even Jesus had the play to road is sort of the joke. And for real though, you have to be, even the son of God, and I know you're, you grew up Jewish and you no, have- No, a, no, you, I, you, I
1: read the New Testament. I, I, okay. I was
0: practically a Jew for Jesus as a six-year-old. But, but saying this uh, from a fictionalizing Jesus for a second, uh, even the son of God, had to go somewhere else to be seen as a hit in his hometown. And that's about where I'm at right now, is I feel like to you, you know, and you're right, maybe Jesus did the spokes in the wheel. You know, by going to all these towns and building up a following in other places, instead of going to Nazareth or instead of going to uh, Bethlehem and instead of going to Damascus, instead of going to all these other towns, Jesus went to Quorum, Jesus went to Twitter, Jesus went to Facebook. And I guess that's what I'm doing. And yes, I am comparing myself to Jesus an hour into this, knowing that lightning will strike if my Irish father hears this. Yeah. Well,
1: I, you know, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think Jesus was really funny when he had to pay taxes. So, you know, there's a story where yeah. render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And so they come to Jesus to pay his taxes. And, uh, he tells, you know, he tells Peter go fishing and there was, and there'll be a coin in every fish. Why couldn't he just, wh- why couldn't he just hand the tax collectors some coins? Why did he have to, why did Peter have to pull it out of the mouths of fish? And, and so is it, was like a joke on the tax collectors that they, that all the coins had the smell of fish, like that was his well, to, way of paying.
0: To, to to your point, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great a la carte Christian lessons in the Bible. Yes. Like, you know, listen, th- listen, there's other things. Hate gays if you read it that way. You got but the 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 easy New Testament things, love thy neighbor, pay your taxes, pay what you're owed, you know, silly lessons we could apply to our lives. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I I actually you think, know? I actually think look Jesus was like the first superhero I think it's a, I think there's beautiful stories in there I always love the story uh, he he's recruiting Simon later Peter and and Simon says I got to I'll go with you but I got to bury my dad first who just died and Jesus says let the dead bury the dead and he just starts walking away and Peter has to follow him like Jesus just didn't give a shit <laughs> like he was just it's good just with time it. to move and, and, uh, yeah the past is the past and. You either, you either follow him into the present or you stay in the past. And so I, I always think that story is very beautiful. I also well, like the fact that that in order for him to ever heal the blind, he had to spit in their eyes. So that's the way he would heal the blind. He would, you would have to get spit on by Jesus if you wanted to start seeing I, again.
0: I'm going to be honest. My priest kind of glossed over that detail. <laughs> The spitting detail. Well, he
1: probably glanced over the masturbation story in the Old Testament as well. So.
0: And good night. <laughs> uh, I got to pee. That's it on Jesus masturbating, my friend. That's the note that no. I'm going to say I got to call my real therapist no, for.
1: It was Onan in the Old Testament, not Jesus, just to be clear. But yes, enjoy therapy as always, Tom. I will talk to you soon and, you know, give me a shout
0: at any time. James, you're a friend. Thank you for sharing your wisdom as always. Have a great night, my friend. And Jay, thank you, Jay, for setting me up.
1: Talk to you later. Talk to you later, Tom.